The other day in the middle of the night, two dead girls began to fight. Back to back they faced each other, drew their swords and shot each other. A deaf policeman heard the noise and came to kill the two dead girls. But if you don't believe this story is true, ask the blind man. He saw too. Or just listen to this podcast with two dead girls. Hi guys and welcome back to Two Dead Girls. Uh, this podcast is run by myself, Sydney, and my sister, Raven. Uh, Hi guys. <laughs> we record remotely from each other so we're doing this over discord forgive us for any technical difficulties while we're figuring it out um raven is currently living in south carolina um stationed there with the air force we're all very proud um (laughs) (laughs) i mean that genuinely (laughs) but uh you know i'm living in uh the nashville area in, in tennessee and um we are doing our best to bond together over the internet as sisters and if you if you yeah exactly if you hear us talk about craig or refer to craig or ask craig a question he's the bot in the discord chat (laughs) and we've had some trouble with him tonight like we always have trouble record (laughs) he's helping us record our show (laughs) (laughs) he's our sound guy (laughs) we we love craig but we also don't love craig sometimes like get it together craig come on come on all right, guys. So we have a, a great case for you this week. And Raven has done a lot of legwork on this one while I was taking my finals for school. So Raven, why don't you take it away? Okay, guys. So today we're going to be talking about the case of Brittany Drexel. Um, a lot of the research that I did do on this um, is kind of parallel to Danielle Hallen. I think that's how you say her name. Danielle Hallen, her video, and I also did my own research. So if some of the facts are the same. I wanted to go ahead and credit her because a lot of the information that I couldn't find elsewhere, I did find in her video and it's on YouTube. It's Danielle. It's spelled D-A-N-E-L-L-E. So I think it's Danielle or it could be Danielle. Not sure. Um, But yeah. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of the stuff isn't on the internet and she did a really good job of deep diving into it. And I've seen some other videos and they weren't covered as well as she did it. And she does a really good job. So credit to her. Snaps um, for Danielle. <laughs> snaps for Danielle. But yeah, we're talking about Brittany today. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, history of who Brittany Drexel was or is. We're not sure if she's still a missing person. Um, so in 2009, Brittany was 17 years old and she was a junior at Gates Chili High School in Rochester, New York. She was primarily raised by her mom and her stepdad, Chad. And she moved a lot when she was younger because of a military family, which I can relate to because I move every two years pretty much. Um, And she had two siblings as well. So she was a family girl, had a pretty decently sized family. And she was pretty popular, but mostly in the older crowd. She's known for her beautiful brown hair and her blue green eyes. And she was just a very beautiful girl. If you guys get the chance to look her up, she's just very like superficially beautiful. I'm not sure about her insides. I didn't know her personally, but I've only heard really good things my research so her parents would often describe her as like really resourceful or strong-minded and independent which will be showed later on in the case as we discuss this she was also really into cosmetology and fashion she actually took a cosmetology class in high school so i thought that was really cool about her so Cindy, did you want to get into a little bit of the backstory sure 
So Brittany's mom and stepdad Chad had recently split up, causing Brittany to become a little bit rebellious. Uh, you know, she had overdosed twice uh, with her mother's mother's medication after a breakup with the her on again off again boyfriend John. They were on again off again for about two years. You know how it goes in high school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she wanted to go on spring break with a group of her friends. Uh, you know, we said earlier she hang- hung with the older crowd. As a junior, she was usually hanging out with the seniors. Uh, and her senior friends were going to Myrtle Beach, but her parents weren't about to let their 17-year-old daughter go by herself 14 hours away. Who would? To- yeah, which, you know, like, at the time, you're like, oh, mom. But, like, looking back, like, absolutely, that makes total sense. I can totally um, understand it as being a junior and senior in high school going to my spring breaks and stuff and how sneaky it was and how bad I wanted to go. And I could definitely see where her parents are coming from now that I'm a parent. So, yeah. See, I was always afraid of getting murdered, so I didn't do anything like that. <laughs> a scaredy cat. No, I, I spent my senior year spring break uh, on our cousin's wedding cruise. <laughs> well, at least you've been on a cruise. That That was fun. I'll say that. Anyway, I've never been on a cruise. <laughs> you know, it, it was really cool to see him get married. That yeah. was fun. And let me preface this really quickly. If you hear us laugh or giggle or whatever, we are not laughing at this case at all. We don't find it funny at all. We find it very serious. We make each other laugh sometimes just because we talk about one thing and it reminds us of the other thing. And we have a lot of history. And our family's a very loving laughy family so we just yeah. we giggle a lot and we don't mean any disrespect to the drexels or anyone regarding britney's case at all we respect this case in the highest degree absolutely uh mm-hmm. so more of her backstory uh britney wanted to go on spring break her parents weren't about it and it makes total sense they were being good parents uh, she asked her mom, and after asking multiple times, um, she asked, she changed her mind and told her mom she'd rather just stay with a friend in the Rochester area for spring break and hang out with her for that break off school. And her mom saw it as a compromise, and so she said okay. Uh, instead, <laughs> Brittany lied to her mom and used that time to drive 14 hours to Myrtle Beach instead. Right, we've all had those times where we've told our parents we were going to one place and went to a completely different place. So this is just one of those cases where her parents believed she was only a few miles down the road, but in reality, she was 14 hours down the road. Big risk to take without letting anybody know where you are. And with a group that was an older, rowdier crowd, um, not the normal people her parents saw her around. Absolutely, yeah. So... April 23rd, 2009 is whenever they decided to leave on their 14-hour trek to Myrtle Beach. And when they arrived, they were staying at the Bar Harbor in Myrtle Beach. It's kind of in North Myrtle Beach. And they wasted no time to begin to party. They just started partying and started living it up as teenagers and enjoying their spring break. It continued to be fun for them, and her she continued to keep up that charade with her parents the entire time. So when her parents would text her, she would play like she was at her friend's house and, you know, just having a good time in Rochester. Even her boyfriend, John, knew where she was, and he was keeping that quiet from her parents, but also checking in with her constantly. And she seemed happy um, until the next day. So on April 24th, 2009, her friends began to participate in extreme drug use and partying. And Brittany didn't want to be a part of all of that. She wasn't super into that. So she began to express how miserable she was the entire time to John. She would text him and say that she was just so unhappy and she was ready to come home. 
And this started to lead her into alienation. She began to alienate herself from the group completely. She would go to dinners alone. She would go to the beach alone. And she was often seen alone. Want to take over, Sid? Sure. So we get to April 25th, 2009. Uh, The day before she was planning on leaving, Brittany found her friend Peter. And she went to school with Peter, so she knew him pretty well and decided to hang out with him for the duration of her trip. Uh, She walked alone from her hotel to Peter's, which was about a 28-minute walk. And before leaving her hotel, she grabbed a pair of shorts that belonged to her friend. Let's put so, this into perspective for them really quickly. So she's staying at the Bar Harbor, and he's staying at what is known as the Blue Water Resort. That's a seven-mile ride, so a 28-minute walk. That's a long walk for one person. Especially like, a, a 17-year-old girl by herself. Uh, that's a huge stretch of land. But keep in mind, I want you guys to remember the names of the hotels. The Blue Water Resort is a big one. Please remember that for the rest of the case. And then also, she said at the Bar Harbor. These are both open and operational to this day. So we have a little bit of a breakdown of her walk over here. And at 8.15, security cams caught Brittany leaving the Bar Harbor Hotel and heading towards the direction of the Blue Water Resort. At 8.48, Brittany receives a call from her angry friend demanding that she brings back her shorts that she took with her. As we said, she just put on some shorts that were in the hotel room. Uh, So Brittany is seen leaving the blue water on security cameras. Only 30 minutes after. Yeah. So at this point, 8.58, she texts her boyfriend, John, saying she was going home or she was going to go home and just pack and go to sleep tonight. She was tired of it, was ready to pack up her stuff, head home the next day after she woke up. So John encourages her to have some fun and enjoy her time since she's already made this 14-hour trip down there. And then Brittany just doesn't reply, which is weird for John. You know, she's been updating him this whole trip, and he's one of the only people who actually knows where she is, so this is a bit concerning. At 9.08, John realizes he still hasn't gotten a response from her and senses trouble. Now, this is only 10 minutes, but again, she was on her phone constantly talking to him. She was constantly re- like replying to him, always answering his phone call. That was part of their agreement, pretty much, for her. Not really agreement, because she can do what she wants. But for her going down there, she was pretty much always going to talk to him to make sure that she was okay, for safety reasons, because her parents didn't know she, where she was. So it was kind of John's way of knowing that she was safe. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy because 30 minutes passed and she he had still not heard from Brittany. She still hadn't texted him back. Exactly. So when she doesn't reply, John gets really concerned and uh, he calls her mom and tells her what happened, where she is. And obviously her mom is pretty angry at first, but then realized, uh, where's my kid and got it together. And when she couldn't get a hold of uh, Brittany from calling her phone. Uh, she called the Rochester police, and they wouldn't do anything since it was obviously out of state. Uh, uh. So John calls uh, somebody else. He calls a friend of Brittany's who was living in North Carolina. And then that friend drives to South Carolina to file a missing persons case because John can't do anything. The mom can't do anything. He thinks what's the next best thing to do, which makes John seem like a pretty stand-up guy to me. He sounds like a great guy because, first of all, Whenever he's trying to talk to her and make sure she's safe, that's awesome. And then not to mention that he's sitting there telling her to have fun and enjoy her time. 
I know a lot of people have seen relationships where it's not like that, you know, where the person's like, no, don't have fun. So he sounds like a great guy. And to call her friend and have her friend go down there who's closer, it seems like a really good idea on his end. Um, so thank God for that friend. That's the A1 friend right there. Yeah, we love that friend. Uh, uh, and then, yeah. And then his mom and, or her mom and him both got into the car with, their entire family pretty much and drove down to Myrtle beach too. But obviously they had 14 hours to go as to where the friend only had a few. Exactly. So calling someone to get there before they could was, was a really smart decision. Uh, So whenever, whenever the friend got down to South Carolina to file the missing persons report, police did what they always do, especially in teenagers cases. They initially thought it was a runaway case said okay well she's at spring break biggest mistake they make exactly you lose so many crucial hours in an investigation by counting it off as a runaway it's crazy to me how many cases end up like this or aren't smart (laughs) yeah exactly dude exactly so they thought because you know she's at spring break there's alcohol involved probably drugs she may have met a boy and ran off with him she may have met some friends and ran off with them or just didn't want to come home or call her family because she's on spring break and she's already not supposed to be there so they're thinking she's probably like yeah no i'm not coming home i'm gonna be in trouble and that's kind of where the police initially ran with it exactly so at this point um there's a witness that talks about Brittany's behavior on this trip and, and kind of testifies to that whole independent woman thing we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Which we love an independent woman, but a woman who's going to be safe and smart about it. Um, so this, uh, this eyewitness actually didn't come forward until the case was opened and they were investigating because he didn't think anything of it at first until he put the face with the name and realized this person was the person he had encountered. So he pretty much says that he witnessed a woman um, being catcalled by a bunch of men and she had walked up to him and pretty much asked if he could walk her home because she didn't feel safe at that point. And he was a respectful dude, stand up dude. So he definitely did. He walked her home. So that's kind of alarming because she was so you know, open to this stranger that he she would let him know where she was staying. So it kind of shows you that she is independent and she's not really seeing the risk of it. Which I understand from a 17-year-old point of view how you wouldn't. But um, he walked her home and she even invited him into her hotel room with her. And that just proves how accepting of strangers she was. And she was unalarmed for this whole situation. I couldn't, no. I'd be afraid the whole time. I'd be like, don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't walk with me. (laughs) No. Like, I literally will sit on the phone with my father while I'm in an Uber with somebody and just even if i'm not talking to him just like hold him like on my phone in my lap and like share my uber ride because i'm too afraid yeah but oh man she uh was fearless clearly she had a lot of strength so another name that we want to mention in this case is going to be peter you're going to want to remember that um He was the friend earlier that we were talking about that she had met and hung out with from Rochester. So he may have been the very first, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Sydney? Suspect. There we go. Sorry, I had a brain fart. He may have been the first suspect in the case because he had some suspicious behavior that night. So the night of her disappearance, he decided he was going to leave the hotel at 2 a.m. in the morning. A.m. in the morning. (laughs) 
2 a.m. And he left without his security deposit. He left without half of his items, including the rest of his friends. They all did this. And as soon as he got back into Rochester, he retained an attorney. How do you feel about that, Sydney? That seems incredibly suspicious to me. Um, that would definitely be alarming to me as uh, someone investigating the case. But the problem is when they did go and talk to him, he was completely cooperative with them. You know, um, he blamed uh. his uh, leaving so soon on the fact that one of his buddy's parents found out where they were. And, you know, that makes sense to me. All of their stories matched up. So he wasn't a, a person of interest after they, they talked to him. And, you know, the thing is, if everyone was doing exactly what Brittany did and weren't telling their parents where they were and they were all 14 hours away from home because they all went to school with her, that would make sense. What do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. Also, I do see um, how it can be a smart thing for people to automatically retain an attorney. Um, if they were the last person to be seen with the person while they were alive and they know that they're innocent and they want to maintain their innocence, I feel like the best thing to do would to be to get an attorney because I know there's been a lot of cases where people who weren't at fault do get blamed in situations because they're not lawyered up and they don't know how to answer the questions correctly. And it's a really sad reality, but I feel like I don't know how I feel about Peter. I don't think that he's responsible for this at all because we'll tell you why. We'll tell you why in a minute, actually. But I think that he did have sketchy behavior. And I feel like if he would have just acted normal, he wouldn't have been a person of interest at first. I think if, other than the leaving at 2 a.m., because supposedly someone did find out where their kid was and when they had lied about it, there is nothing suspicious about his behavior if he hadn't this gone and lawyered up. Right. And well, just leaving without his items and without his security deposit. Like if you're 17 years old, you'd probably want that back, you know? I mean, I don't know it, it, who whose money did they use to book these hotels? How do they book hotels at 17? I'm without exactly. their parents knowing like I, someone's helping them pay for it. I just don't know where. And we couldn't find any more information on that, really. I just thought that it was important to throw that information in there because, like I said, at, at the beginning, he was considered someone it would be interesting to the case, but really that's not the case anymore. Yes, because we're about to get into that. So we also want to mention on April 25th, 2009 at 927 PM, Brittany's phone did ping seven miles south of Myrtle Beach, which is the opposite direction of where she would have been walking towards the Bar Harbor. And with the rate of travel, it definitely shows that she wasn't walking anymore. She had to be in a vehicle to get that much space in that little time. At about 11.58 p.m., her phone pinged again about 50 miles south of Georgetown, or south in Georgetown, South Carolina, which is full of swampland with alligators and boar and scary animals that could eat you. And then her phone dies. And so there's last, no more pings. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last we hear from or from her phone. Unfortunately. Her location, yeah. So, uh, Sid, did you want to take on the so, tips? So, yeah, the, the tip that came into the police after this point happened eight months later. Like, we heard nothing else from her or, or any tips at this point. Um, and it was a found pair of woman's sunglasses. So, obviously, the police have to investigate any tips that come their way. Uh, it was north of all the previous places they had been searching, so it didn't really add up. Um, 
when they got there, they they obviously took the glasses as like uh, evidence, potential evidence, and they tested it for DNA. But there was absolutely no DNA found on the glasses, and they were assumed to be brand new sunglasses. And there was nothing about these glasses to tie to Brittany. Like there was no pictures of her wearing them. There was no one who could say, "Oh yeah, those are Brittany's glasses." They were just a random pair of glasses that seemed like no one ever wore. So it's assumed that someone involved might have planted these glasses to throw police off from searching in the places that they were because they were getting close. There are literally no other answers to why they would be there. It just is a big confusion of why this is even a part of the case. And if anything else happened, you know, it had to be or it had to be that someone placed them there to deter them from going in the right direction, in my opinion my personal opinion yeah so at this point the the rest of april passes and the case moves from a missing persons case into a homicide case um so that's a problem because at this point we have no no evidence of that she's died um or any information about where she could possibly be so it's starting to seem like the case is going to turn cold Raven. Uh, so now we're going to get into Mr. Taquan Brown. I hope that I'm saying that right. Um, it, I'm saying it how it's spelled. I've heard it pronounced multiple different ways. So for the rest of the podcast, I'm just going to say Taquan or Mr. Brown. So about seven years later, Brown was a prison inmate who came forward in a letter to Georgetown claiming that he had witnessed what had happened to her. He had just got put into prison on a 20 year sentence for voluntary manslaughter so, I mean, take this with what you will, because we don't know, you know, what to believe in this situation. Yeah. But he claims that he was present at a stash house that belonged to Mr. Sean Taylor. I'm going to repeat that name because it's important. Sean Taylor. Stash house belonged to him in McLellanville, South Carolina, which is close to Georgetown. And he was there to pay him, pay Sean for who knows what. He owed him money. He was paying him. He's saying that he walked through the home and he saw Deshaun, not Sean Taylor, Deshaun Taylor, which is Sean's son, and several other men sexually assaulting Brittany Drexel. He even claims that Brittany at one point escaped through the back door and took off running where she was then pistol whipped by Sean Taylor and the men all grabbed her and carried her back into the home. He also claims that a few minutes later he heard two gunshots go off. He says then they wrapped her body in cloth and carried her outside. And when he asked where they were going, he was told the alligator pits. And that's pretty much all we know about Mr. Brown's story. The only thing about this story that kind of irks my nerve is that he waited seven years to come forward with this information. Who waits seven years to solve a murder case if you witnessed it? That just doesn't make sense to me. How about you, Sydney? How do you feel about that? The reasoning that I think it does make sense because he clearly was involved in some sh- some shady shit himself. If we're being honest, he was paying the owner of a stash house for something he owed him money for, and you know if the the regular activities that go on there are any indication like of what he could have been doing for them and what he was later arrested on, I right. think he he clearly had some things to fear about going to the police about anything. And if he I, owes this guy money, maybe he has fear of of Sean Taylor himself. Um, that, that could make sense. That could very well be the case. I'm not saying I completely believe his story, but I think that it's potential. It's something that should be looked into. 
I think what's crazy about it is that he couldn't even name all of the guys that were allegedly involved. And the two names that he did give out, or at least two of the names that he gave out, were serving time during their occurrence. So they couldn't have been there because they were locked up, so they couldn't be there. I think and that's that, why he loses me a bit. Yeah, I think that Mr. Brown knew that he was about to serve a 20-year sentence, and he was trying to figure out some way to offer some kind of plea deal as to where he gives information about something to lessen his sentence. Because you see that a lot in cases like this, or not even just cases like this, in people who are incarcerated in general for long sentences, and they know they're going to be in there for a while, they'll begin to, even if it's not true, they'll begin to tell stories that can potentially lower their sentence. So I, I think, believe that that's what he's doing. I think you're absolutely right. But the, the part here for me is why would he choose Brittany Drexel? Why would he choose placing her in that home at that time with those people? I think there's got to be some sort of, even if it's just the tiniest bit of the details here, that are slightly true. There's got to be something yeah. that made him think of that. Because why else? I agree. Seven years later, would he bring up that specific case? I agree. And I guess that's where we're going to go ahead and head into is, you know, dissecting the tailors and who they were and how they play a part in this case. So it makes more sense as to why Mr. Brown, I guess, would throw their name out there. Um, because it wasn't the first time that Deshaun and Sean Taylor were involved and interviewed for this case. Sean was first questioned in 2009 where he happened to pass a polygraph test and he wouldn't even be contacted about the Brittany Drexel case again until 2016. When all of this happened to Brittany, it's important to remember that Deshaun was only 16 years old. That's yeah, they, they were about me. the same age at that point. Yeah, but only a year, a year apart. apart. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy to me how young, young this, this man well, was. Well, you know, if, if you're raised in a, in a stash house and. And by Sean Taylor. And by Sean Taylor, who has a, a rap list himself. Well, yeah, we're got to get into that. Do you want to tell them a little bit about that, Sid? Sure. So we should also mention about Deshaun. Um, he is missing his left arm um, because of a childhood injury. We don't really know exactly what happened to him, but it makes him pretty um, noticeable. It's a very distinct feature. Like if someone has a very specific tattoo or right. you know, different color eyes. If you commit a crime and you have a very distinct feature, it's probably not a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. So Sean Taylor, his dad, was arrested a month after Brittany went missing in connection to an attempted kidnapping. Which would you look at that? Just just seems already a little bit suspicious. Can um, you guys guess where this kidnapping allegedly took place? Can you guess? I bet you can't. So Blue Water Resort. It did happen around the Blue Water Resort at about 4 p.m. and it was a 20-year-old girl this time. Uh, so a few years older than, than uh, Brittany. And basically, a van stopped behind her, and two men tried grabbing her, like, jumped out and tried grabbing her. But she was able to elbow one of them and escape. So good for this 20-year-old girl. Well, uh, excited for her. Yeah, that um, self-defense. Yeah. I, and I was I was telling this to Raven earlier when talking about the case. I feel like that's the, that's the difference between a... a a 17-year-old girl and a 20-year-old girl. A 17-year-old girl is still going to think, you know, oh, like, this guy walked to my, my hotel, no problem. You know, strangers aren't that bad. Yeah. And then a 20-year-old girl is like, okay, let me Google self-defense moves and <laughs> get these yeah. dudes away from me. Yeah. Uh, and something we should definitely be focusing on teaching our, our youth a little bit more is 
not don't fear the world but learn how to defend yourself be aware yeah be Be aware that's what our mom always did to us oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so anyway uh she elbowed the guy she was able to escape um he turned himself in after this and his home was searched uh, and they took multiple items from him including a car and this car was thought to be involved in a homicide um so we're not sure if that means he killed somebody in this car or not because he commonly worked on cars um so it may not have even been his vehicle but someone around and we know he already had a, a little bit of a sketchy life sean taylor so at 30 offenses sketchy just in this county alone yeah I- exactly and you know a lot of those offenses were either duis which makes sense again with the stash house or uh child support which i don't i don't know how many kids he has besides deshaun or... i didn't come across that i i probably should have looked that up i didn't i didn't find it necessary for the case but it's not. i didn't see that yeah and i couldn't find anything about the car whether they confirmed that it was involved in the homicide or not but it was thought to be so i thought that was important to mention as well i mean obviously if you're someone who is either owns a car that was used in a homicide that makes you look guilty or you are working in a car for someone who used it in a homicide and the people you run around with have awful offenses in the county like you do it's it's easy to assume he could be involved in something like britney's disappearance um and it definitely stays close to the family because even sean's brother randall um, has a rape and kidnapping charge from 98 so it it's definitely not a very safe environment from the statistics that we are given. Exactly. So uh, all the way later in 2011, Deshaun, the son, was arrested for acting as a getaway driver in a robbery. And that robbery included a deadly weapon. At this point, he's 18 years old, so he gets two years probation. It's also important to mention that the other guys involved in this robbery got way more. I don't know the extent of their charges, but they got way more than two years probation. And it didn't seem very fair that he only got two years. The FBI didn't like that very much. So at this point, the FBI is taking over this case and they arrest Deshaun uh, because of his unfair punishment with, with that situation. Um, But their primary reason for wanting to arrest him was to try and get more information out of him about his involvement in the Brittany Drexel case. Um, He was offered a plea deal, and if he was able to pass a polygraph on Brittany's case, uh, he would, would, uh, he was able to, mm, I messed up there. (laughs) You're good. Rewind. he, he He was offered a plea deal if he was able to pass a polygraph on Brittany's case, but he actually rejected that plea. Um, But he did offer to take the polygraph anyways, which unfortunate to him came back as inconclusive. And even whenever he was answering his own names, there was known discrepancies. So how can you, that just reminds me of the Paul Flores interviews that we were mentioning earlier, the whole case with the Kristen Smart case, how whenever they would even ask him his name and he didn't even want to answer that. It drives me crazy. Everything. Yeah. It, It drives me crazy whenever you can't even say your name without, the polygraph you're a liar yeah because that's what that's like it's like sweat trackers in your fingers the way polygraphs work right like in like your heart monitor and all that like i I I mean mean, if you if you can't honestly tell them your name calmly i mean i understand being nervous but that's a little bit much 
Yeah, so that definitely caught me by surprise whenever I read that. But at this point, the police really weren't following the laws. They were trying to hem him up for the same crime twice and trying to, you know, punish him twice. And in police world, they call that double jeopardy. And you can't really do that. It's really illegal. In so <laughs> I'm trying to make it like <laughs> as black and white as possible. In I, the police I just want to let y'all know that <laughs> our grandfather was literally a chief of police and <laughs> in police, in police world. world. Well, I work as security forces in the Air Force. And oh, you're literally a cop, right? <laughs> in the Air Force, though. But what I mean by that is like the way that the cop world is is so different, in my opinion to like civilian world like just everything about it is just so different and so i like to use that phrase a lot in cop world or in cop terms because it's, like it's great it just, it's just so different to me you know like i don't know as to where a civilian would be like yeah get him again hit him for the same thing let's figure out more answers you can't really do that it's not legally okay to do that so in my little vocabulary where i say cop world <laughs> that is where i'm going with that i guess I mean, uh, our, our grandpa was literally a CSI investigator. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was talking about where I said, if we laugh and cut up, please don't think we're being disrespectful to the case because we're not. And that's just, that's just us. I mean, but, you've got to talk about things in an informative and lighthearted way. Uh, we don't want to bring too much negativity to Brittany's name. Yeah, because what, what it's happened already there was awful. Let, let's get the word out about it and see if we can't yeah. figure this out. Right. Because you never know what can happen. You know, the Your Own Backyard podcast has done so much for the Christmas Mark case. So you gonna, never know this what can is happen. the Your Own Backyard podcast fan club right here. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, who's not a part of that fan club? Like, let's just be honest. Yeah. If it's you a fan club to it, you want to, to be a part of. Yes. But so back to the case. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, the case is on a halt because they're calling it a matter of law. And I think that is their way of saying, hey, we messed up. Let's fix it before it goes too far. And so, yeah, that's what happened with that. So that's pretty much the draw on the case. So basically the Taylors at this point, Deshaun and Sean, have a lot of people in this small town that really are behind them. Um, the army everyone thinks that he's innocent and it is a small town mcclellanville south carolina is super tiny and so they claim that if one person was to do something someone would tell someone who would tell their grandma who would tell their uncle who would tell their best friend's dog and it would just get all the way across the town their and they best don't friend's dog. <laughs> they don't believe that there was any way anyone in that town could do anything without them finding out about it. And I just don't believe that. But they do. And they definitely all have Deshaun's back. Exactly. Um, so there's interviews of Deshaun Taylor. And in all of them, he is it's so blank and rehearsed. It, it seems rehearsed, at least. Uh, oh, this is good. This is a good one. I forgot to mention this. Um, so there is an interview. And at one point... He's asked if there could have been any witnesses to the crime, at which he says, I'm pretty sure there were no witnesses. I mean, matter of fact, I know there weren't any because I've never met Drexel or Brittany. A so up there. Yeah, he slipped up there. He said, I'm pretty sure there were no witnesses. Actually, no, there weren't any any witnesses. And I know that because I've never met her. Okay, so he, like which, which one is it? Here's my problem with that. His only alibi is that he was supposedly in school at the time. Like, we're talking about a teenage kid in high school. But 
to me, Raven, we we grew up in a place that wasn't as big or what didn't have the best education. I mean, they were great for where we were. Our parents took care of us, I promise. A Smith Station <laughs> education. <Yeehaw>. Yeah. <laughs> Down in Phoenix City, Alabama. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Raven and I had a little bit of different school experiences um, in growing up in sister cities. And, um, you know, the thing was, even as well, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say well-funded because I don't, I wouldn't call <laughs> I wouldn't call Muskogee County well-funded or Lee County well-funded, but like we weren't broke. We were better off than some other school systems for sure. And, you know, growing up in 2009, you know, what I was 10 and then we had those old crappy, like huge dinosaur Dell computers. Right. And a lot of times when our teachers were taking role, like attendance that day, it was always on paper. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. These kids have it so good these days. They have their own iPads and yeah, technology no. is so crazy. But to think back to 2009 and think about, like In you're saying, the, yeah, the attendance records and stuff like that. They're, they're not going to be, in my opinion, I, I, and I could be wrong about this because I'm not familiar with this area. I just know that growing up, you and I, our attendance records weren't like some big elaborate thing in a computer like they were like okay everyone showed up today cool let me write it down in a piece of paper and turn that into the front office i mean the book, the if, if, book. yeah yeah and our parents like would call the school that day be like hey are they there obviously we're there i mean they dropped us off but like if yeah. you if you went back and like they called hey was my kid at school three months ago on this day i doubt they had the record of that so yeah, and like okay, so the way my high school was set up for all of you listening who don't aren't aware, my freshman year, there was a school and then a tunnel that led to the parking lot. And in the back of the parking lot, there was a subway. And so my friends and I would skip school sometimes and go through the tunnel and go get subway and they wouldn't even notice we were gone. So I'm just maybe he could have left and no one knows. Like it could have been one of those situations. See. Exactly. That's that's my point. And first of all, you skip school for Subway. I mean, like, <laughs> you I, fresh, you, I, I guess. I mean, small town Alabama. I, those were the finer things in life. Uh, <laughs> Wish life was still as easy as just, getting Subway. Just over the railroad tracks and down through the tunnel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't. Is that the tunnel we used to go through for like football games and stuff? Like. Yeah, it sounds like an old Willie Nelson song. I know. <laughs> Across the railroad and under the tunnel. Was that the high school that was over the railroad? Because, oh my God, I don't kind even know. Kind of. Is it kind of? Kind of. Small <laughs> history lesson, guys, of where Raven grew <laughs> up. Um, but yeah, to me, attendance records wouldn't be kept that well. And we've already gone through this case of like just every kid is lying to their parent. And we don't, I, I really doubt Deshaun's dad really gave much of a crap if he showed up to school. Um, yeah. just, just based off of his, his criminal record himself, you know, um, and the fact that his son was just hanging out in the stash house all the time. Um, and we, and we, or allegedly, we don't want to place yeah. blame or judge or anything, but from the facts that we have, we're just telling you our opinion pretty much. So that's how we feel about that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like, I just don't see if he, it, Deshaun calls his mom and says I'm in school or she drops him off and he technically is there, but then he leaves to go wherever. I mean, in high school, we had a Sonic across the street and like, I mean, 
I usually wait until after school, but I know some kids <laughs> did not. <laughs> Cindy doesn't want to say that she skipped school on the podcast because she knows our parents are going to listen to it and she doesn't want to get in trouble. Oh, my God. I, literally, <laughs> no. I, my school was five minutes from the house. I could have never gotten away with that. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, no, like it was within walking distance. It would never happen. Yeah, but, so, but yeah, I just so, don't think that alibi is an airtight alibi. I don't think so either. I, I, and it, it came from his mom too. It didn't come. I mean, that's all I could find was that it came from his mom. I'm not sure if it came from someone else as well. If, if authorities um, released that, but from what I saw, that alibi came from his mother. So who knows? And because like, people lie for their mothers all the time, or lie for their kids all the time. People lie for their kids, and also Brittany and all of her friends lied to go on spring break. So who's to say that that Sean didn't do the same thing and lie to his mom about where he was? Yeah. So lie to your parents. No, don't lie to your parents, because then you end up in situations like this. Yeah, don't do it. It's not worth it. Absolutely. So, Here's a crazy little story. So, Brittany's dad actually went down to pass flowers out in McLellanville, South Carolina. Flowers? Just to, flyers. I keep doing that. Every time I tell you, <laughs> I do flowers. He's not I, passing out flowers. He's passing out flyers. Flyers. Sorry. Flyers. It's the accent. Just blame it on the accent. There you go. Uh, <laughs> That's frustration education. <laughs> he was passing out flyers to the locals in the community. The flyers pretty much just said, you know, Brittany's missing. This is her. This is what she looks like. This is all the details you need to know. Call me if you see her. Um, but he had a strange occurrence with one of the vehicles. So he was, you know, holding out flyers as people drove by. They would grab them, drive off. They were all respectful towards him. But one car just wouldn't stop until he physically stood out in front of the car and pretty much, like, made it stop or else they would have ran him over. And whenever he went to the approach the driver to hand him the flyer, <laughs> I almost said flower again, to hand him the flyer, he realized the two people in the back seat were laughing and giggling as he was explaining it to him, which, you know, struck him as very disrespectful in the first place. Like, wh who laughs at something like that? I, that's beyond me. But as he handed the flyer to the driver, the driver then balled it up and threw it out of the window and sped off, like raced off. When he went back to talk to his PI about it, his private investigator, he explained what the driver looked like. And it was then confirmed that that driver was Deshaun because he had no left arm. Don't be mean if you have a distinctive feature. It don't, goes back to that. Yeah. It, like, it, don't get a very distinct tattoo. You think you're being unique, but then you commit a crime. You're screwed. You know, like, like if you have something that sets you apart from the crowd very clearly. Like, cannot be mistaken. Why, like, why are you arm. being a jerk? Like, why yeah. are you being a jerk? Why are you This is a grieving dad. He's Yeah, why are, you, why are you disrespecting even, a grieving dad? He's 14 hours away from his home handing out flyers. I mean, it's just awful. And, and how many years later was this, Raven? I don't know the exact time frame, but it wasn't too long after she was missing. Maybe, maybe the same year, but it wasn't too long after. I mean, but they, imagine they had already known about the Taylors, so okay. Well, just just imagine how he had to have felt being treated like that after people, you know, being human and having a moral compass by the person who is suspected of killing his daughter. Exactly. It's like, did you just come face to face with her potential murderer? I mean, that that's horrible. Yeah. So some updates in this case. Um, Police and FBI are saying that they have made progress and they do have new leads and are hoping to close the case soon. 
We don't know the details of that. They have not given that out to us because it is still an open and ongoing investigation. So we don't really know what's going on in the case, but it does look good from what authorities are saying. They said they've searched all of the alligator pits and surrounding areas because of the rumors, you know, earlier that we talked about about the alligator pits. And I think it's weird that her mother hasn't even been contacted by the FBI since 2016. So her mother isn't even aware of what's going on, but yet they have all these new leads and have made progress. Something isn't right. No, again, this makes me want to go back to Kristen Smart because this is the Kristen Smart podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, they don't give her parents any information either. Because, and you know, we're learning that you have to be patient with police investigating cases like this, even if they've been ongoing for so many years. Because when they find these new leads, if they let them out to the public too soon, it can ruin their potential grabbing of evidence, you know. Um, So we want to trust that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. However, it's extremely frustrating considering... That was 2009 that she went missing, and we are now uh, in 2021. So Yeah, so. Let's uh, talk about the theories about this case, Raven. This is, this is going to get intense. So there are several theories in this case, some more believable than others, um, some that are pretty much ruled out but are still open. A lot of people do believe that this may have happened to her. So a lot of people do believe that she's still alive and that she is somewhere sold into sex trafficking. That's such a sad reality in today's world. Me and Sydney were talking about that earlier, about just the dangers of this world now versus when we were children. We even have to Uh, worry about stuff like that. That's insane to me. Well, you know, mom specifically was very... Um, always made us very aware of the world, and I I don't know how how your mom was with you, but um, mom specifically was very I don't want to say she made us fearful of the world because she very much was trying to protect us. However, it did make me a little bit scared. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you know, around two thousand nine is when people really started talking very publicly. Like around that the the mid to late two thousands there or twenty tens there, people were starting to talk about, you know, what sex trafficking was and and how common it became. You know, movies like Taken, and you want to go back to that and think about what happened to her, and that that's really what's going on around around us all the time. And I remember by the time that going through school, people were always warning us about this kind of stuff. You know, at assemblies and whatnot. And then, like, going to towards the end of high school, for me, after we've moved to a completely different place, like, people are putting up flyers all around the school to to show the signs of, to look out for, you know, about sex trafficking, sex trafficking rings and stuff like that. And there was even one, a place that was busted as, as being a sex trafficking ring, like, literally within a mile of my school at that time. So, so this is a very common thing that people just aren't publicizing as much especially not at this time it was only beginning to to really get publicized so i think it very well could have been she's the right age for it that's the thing is they they want to get someone young and you know it's a place where people are spring breaking that seems unfortunately like the right target for it 
And this is a place where people are, are willingly, not not Brittany, obviously, because she said she didn't want to partake in any of this, but people are willingly doing lots of drugs and lots of drinking. So are they yeah. more vulnerable because of that? I, is she more vulnerable because even if she was sober, she was walking by herself for miles? I mean... It's definitely a possibility, and I think it goes back to just being aware. Like, people... We need to be aware of our surroundings at all times. We don't need to live in fear and be afraid because the world is such a terrible place these days, but just to be aware. And I do believe that this is a theory that very well could have happened in this particular case. I don't believe that it is the one that did happen um, because I feel like we have evidence that point to other leads and other theories more than this one. But I'll explain a little bit more of why I think this may be a possibility in um a couple more theories we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more and i'll get into it in a minute in a minute i i definitely think it's potential but i don't think she's still living at this point in time i don't either i i think that and to go back to the whole brown situation and what he said i think that and and police think the same they think the same so i believe that maybe they were looking for someone to sell into prostitution or to sell into sex trafficking and because of the multiple alleged kidnappings, maybe it just didn't work out. And I don't yeah. believe that she's alive anymore. But I don't want to lose hope on that because I don't ever want to lose hope on a missing person's case. You but never do. But at some point, you have to wonder what you're looking for. What what kind of clues are you looking for if you really want to help solve it? Yeah, which is why I believe that maybe it was a motive at the beginning. I don't think so as much anymore. Yeah. Um, so let's move into our next theory. Did Sean yeah. and Deshaun kill her? What do you think? It, yeah, was she killed by the Taylors, which seems to be the most common theory among all of the theories because of the evidence against them. And like I was telling Sydney earlier, there's not much like crucial, hardcore evidence against the Taylors, but because of their track records and etc it all eyes point to the taylors and it's, anyone it's who, the way that he treated the dad with the flyer for me right yeah exactly it's the multiple other charges for me it's the potential yeah. kidnapping for me it's the <laughs> the, the kidnapping um, too yeah in the same spot in the same place i just yeah it's that's why it makes sense to me where there might not or i guess where there might be a lack of evidence like hardcore evidence or that's known lot. to the public. It's known mean, to the, the public, yeah. The police obviously have their suspicions, and you you want to trust they have their suspicions for a reason, and they're not just targeting these guys because they were the their names came up a few times, you know. Right, but then we always go back to the point like, where is the body? And I know a lot of people won't tell you where the body is. <clears throat> Paul Flores. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but At his um, house currently they moved three <laughs> times. Um, yeah, uh, we'll get into Kristen Smart's case in a little bit, maybe after it's closed. So we have yeah, all of the information we're for some updates on that one first. We have so much to talk about, but I want to move into the next theory kind of as to where the body could be. And that is the Gators because they did say to Brown allegedly that they were going to take the body to feed them to the Gators and Georgetown area, McClellanville area. That is a very swamp infested area. A lot of Gators, a lot of boars, lots of animals that could eat a human within six hours. So Let's specify here, if, if you're not aware, uh, boars are not just like, oh, a cute little pig, and they're not like like Pumbaa and the Lion King. They are 
they aggressive. are mean. They're mean as shit. I mean, yeah, they're aggressive. I had a, a friend in high school, and her dad hunted them for a living. And I mean, yeah. the, these these guys are the boars. They're they're so aggressive and absolutely could tear you up if you're uh, hurt or under the influence or if your body's just being dumped. Yeah, so that's a lot of people believe that that is where her body is, since there isn't a body to this day to close this case off. And if that is the case, then there never will be. And that's the sad part about it. The family loses that closure to be able to bury their baby if, you know, if that is the case. And I don't and that's, know. I that's the like... unfortunate part. I mean, I, I think gators are a very probable theory of where they could have left her, either alive or not. Um and the thing about, you know, gators is, I mean, they're also very aggressive and they, the way that they work, they don't chew. They they will bite something and roll around and swallow. So there will be nothing left of her to, for evidence at all. Yeah. So that, that, that would be, unfortunately, a, a decent way of disposing of someone. Oh, Sydney, very morbid. No, it's not that I'm trying, I'm just... I'm thinking Serial in the mind. I'm thinking in the minds of people who are messed up. I would never want to do that to somebody. But... I know, I know. I'm just playing. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you have to get in their mind and like, what were they thinking? What were they doing? And why? And if you yeah. never want to get caught, if you never want to have concrete evidence against you, that's a pretty good out. I agree. I agree. Um, so one thing that just you know rubbed me raw the whole time I was investigating this case is that they didn't place as much blame on Sean Taylor as they did Deshaun Taylor. Sean Taylor was the one that had all the known convictions and whatnot. Like, I understand why they wouldn't, but also at the same time, like, why wasn't he interviewed as much as his son? Why wasn't he questioned? Why are why we picking on the 16-year-old with one arm as doing yeah. it by himself? Because, I mean, the reality is, could you actually execute this by yourself right, at that age? Right. And why not, like, look more into Sean because they attempted kidnapping. I just feel like they, unless they did and I just didn't find it, and you guys can let me know in our email if we're covering anything wrong. At any case, if we cover something wrong with any case, please let us know. Please educate us. But I just and We're doing understand. our best to get the facts right, but yes. We really are. And we, and we do have a lot of opinions, and we're making sure that we express that these are our opinions. So, yeah. But I, I don't know why they wouldn't more into Sean. He seems very suspicious, even more so than Deshaun. Yeah, the car thing That's and the, the flyer thing. thing was bad, but so was everything that Sean Taylor did, and he didn't get the same kind of treatment that the FBI gave Deshaun Taylor. Exactly. And, and, you know, I feel like, thinking back to when you're 16, how much do you rely on your parent? I still rely on my parents. I mean, we still, you're absolutely right. We still do like, oh, we're having you know, a problem with anything. Oh, hey, dad, how do I do this? You know? I'm 25 years old and I still call my daddy every day and my mama uh, and ask him how to do stuff. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, literally, I, I called dad the other day because I dropped an earring down the sink and didn't know how to take my pipes apart and I had to get it step by step. <laughs> like, like, we you almost. Know, Literally almost called what? him to get him to help us with this podcast because we <laughs> couldn't figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's like you always rely on your parents if you if you have a good relationship. But like clearly Sean and Deshaun were around each other often. Whether I don't know how the relationship was, but, but they're at least around each other often. And you're 16 and 
I just don't see you murdering someone or hurting someone and disposing of a body by yourself. And who's the first person you call when you're 16? You need help. Parents. I mean, I would think it's your dad or, or, or his mom. And, but his mom, I don't know if she truly believes he was at school that day or if she's trying to protect her child, which is understandable. A couple um, theories, but I mean, well, I guess we're never going to know unless they just open up and talk about it. But we know how that goes. So, last theory here. Yeah, this one is this is one that is also very believable, and I honestly may believe this one a little bit, if I'm being honest, Sydney. Yeah. The, okay, so the last theory that we're going to talk about is that Deshaun maybe was the getaway driver. I mean, he had a record of it. He was the getaway, get, I can't speak, <laughs> the getaway driver in a robbery in 2011. So, if he wasn't actually, you know, the killer then maybe he was just a getaway driver, which is still very bad. He's still very much responsible, but a lot of people think that this is true because he only did have one arm. So he wasn't yeah. capable of doing the things that, you know, a murderer would do. And that leads us back probably to the whole Sean and Deshaun thing. Do you think that maybe Deshaun drove the car for his father? Or, you know, it, he obviously, like, if we go back to the theory from, uh, from Taquan Brown, right? Uh, say there's any truth to what he said he witnessed of Brittany and uh, the Taylors. Does that mean that there was a group involved? Does that mean there was more than just the father and son pair? And that still puts him as a getaway driver, potentially, because that was his job with other crimes we he is known to have committed, you know? And it makes me wonder, you know, is he the getaway driver for the 20 year old that they tried to kidnap? Do we know that? You know? Yeah. Uh, because there, no one was ever caught because she got away. So yeah. I, I just wonder how many people know where she is and aren't saying anything. And it, was this just Sean and, and Sean only? Were they involved at all? I mean, all evidence points to probably. But yeah, that's the theory that I believe most. But you guys can let us know if you want to in our email. But yeah, yeah. that's that's the case of Brittany Drexel. Um, we'd love to hear your opinions. Like I said, it's just it's so unfortunate what happened to this beautiful girl. She really, truly was beautiful. I encourage everyone listening to go and look up pictures of her and look at the case for yourself. I always encourage that you educate yourself on the case and not just listen to us because you may have a different opinion than us or you may know something or someone may know something and we could probably help solve this case, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And Everything that we stated here were things that we found from statements from police and other people involved that have covered these stories. Um, and we did our best, as always, to, to find the facts and insert our opinions as well, because you have to theorize to, to figure these kinds of things out. So if anyone does know anything or knows anyone who may know something, I highly encourage you to reach out to the local authorities, um, whether it be McLellanville, Rochester, anyone covering this case, Myrtle Beach. Um, look up numbers for Crime Stoppers as well. Crime Stoppers is a really good resource where you can call and let them know your information that you have, and it has helped solve multiple, multiple cases. So whatever area you're deciding to call and report, look up their Crime Stopper number. I'm going to say this at the end of every podcast we do because I do – really think this is a great tool um 
So yeah, I definitely be aware. That's what I get to take from this case is just be aware of your surroundings. Um, don't be afraid, but be aware. Always tell someone where you are, even if you're a teenager and you don't feel comfortable telling your parents, you know, have have a, a, a boyfriend or a friend or someone nearby, hopefully, who knows where you are and knows you're safe and make good choices, guys. Yeah, make good choices for sure. Um, and don't quit looking for Brittany. She's still a missing person. This case, while they have said that it is most likely a homicide investigation, she's she's not found yet. She's still missing. She very well could be alive, and we need to hold on to that hope for the families. So if you do see her or come across her or any information about her, make sure she's safe. You know, never stop looking for her. So thank you guys for listening to our first episode of Two Dead Girls. We're so yeah. excited. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I, it's, I guess it's the second episode, but it's the first like real episode. It's, so. it's the first case we've talked about. Um, so yeah, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening to us. We have more to come, and, and we uh, want to apologize. Yeah. Oh, sorry, we want to apologize for any time that we have messed up in this one. It will get a hundred percent better. Like I said, it is our first one. We're still learning the technology. We're still learning how to communicate with each other through Discord. It. Like you hear us sometimes talk over each other, it cuts out. So we apologize for any technical errors and we just hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>